0: Let's, uh, let's start our, our sermon this morning with a prayer. We pray, Dear God, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us one another for fellowship and connection. Uh, please bless us now in our connection with you as we listen to you and learn from you. Help us to grow in our understanding and uh, our love for you. And help us to grow in our motivation to live for you in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, to the fourth and the final sermon uh, in our October sermon series which has been called lost and found 22nd series recap so the first week we talked all about the feeling of being lost how scary it could be to be lost and then how it feels to be found and how relieving that is second week we talked about losing something and the panic of losing something and then the relief when you find it again last week we heard a parable with two different sons and they both were lost in kind of different ways and then they both were found in kind of different ways. But today, we're taking a whole different tack. Today we're gonna talk about cake. So, I like cake. I don't know about you all, but I feel like cake is kind of an underrated dessert. I'll explain to you why. So like, ice cream gets all the attention, candy gets all of the advertising, but those desserts are so sweet, they kind of give you a stomach ache. Maybe they rot your teeth. And plus, moving from taste to consistency, they're kind of the same boring consistency all the way through, typically. Ice cream and candy, boring. But cake is complex and beautiful. You got that bottom layer part where it's like spongy, perfect consistency to go on a fork. And then you've got the frosting on top. It's sweet, but it's not too sweet. So it's just the right balance between those textures and flavors and then you wash the whole thing down with a cold glass of milk. Like, I don't know that there's a whole lot of things that taste better than a really good slice of cake. But there's more to cake than just taste. There's also artistry. Ice cream is just ice cream, right? You have to eat it before it melts. But cake could be anything that you want it to be. For example, cake could look like this. Or it could look like this. Or... It could look like this. Or Gabby, is this, uh, Gabby, are you paying attention because this one's for you? Cake could look like this. (laughs) That's a rainbow unicorn cake, is that awesome? You could make all kinds of cakes. Cakes could look like any of these different things. Not only is cake delicious, but it can be an artistic masterpiece. However, what eventually happens to all these cakes? What eventually happens to all these cakes? right? Crumbs. And I have to think that there is a unique bittersweet pain in the heart of every baker as they watch their beautiful piece of art get just chopped up and eaten and turned into crumbs. Maybe they can't even watch as their cake just gets destroyed by everybody who's eating it. At any rate, this is where the saying comes from, and maybe you've heard it, you can't have your cake and eat it too. A cake masterpiece looks good, and a cake masterpiece tastes good, but it can't look good and taste good at the same time. You've got to make your choice. Decoration or dessert, but it can't be both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Now this idea, this concept, is something that's pretty hard for our world to swallow. Pun very much intended, thank you. but. Uh, Think about it, we live in an age where there are so many advancements, there's so many um, conveniences, there's so many different technologies for things that it can be easy to feel like you don't have to choose, you don't have to settle, you don't have to compromise anymore, because like in our modern day and age, maybe you can have it all. And this is a common theme in advertising. I don't know if anybody remembers, this is one of the most successful advertising campaigns of all time was for Miller Lite, and it was 20 years worth of debates over do people drink Miller Lite because of the great taste or because it is less filling. And then you would have these arguments, great taste, less filling. And of course the point is it's both. You don't have to pick. If Miller Lite is what they're saying it is, then it is great taste and it's less filling. I'll let you Miller Lite drinkers decide if that's accurate or not. Um, but this is like a common theme in advertising that you can have both things. You can have restaurant quality food on you know, a low budget price. You can impress your girlfriend with the dinner that you made for her and you can spend actually no time preparing it because you put it in the microwave. Um, But you don't have to settle. You don't have to compromise. You can have it all if you buy this product. And I'll let you, you know, hot pocket connoisseurs decide if that's accurate advertising, but this is the claim. Um, But it's not just advertising. This is kind of how our whole culture runs. This is just kind of the way that we think about things. We want to have it all. We want to make a lot of money at our job, and we want to have a lot of time off and a healthy work-life balance. Um, We want to stay home with our kids and we want to stay connected to our career. Uh, We want to have a healthy-looking body and we also want to be able to eat anything that we want. We want to have it all. And with the right product, with the right hack, with the right connections, it almost feels like we maybe sort of can. And so this easily becomes the goal of our life. It can become the goal of our life. That if we can just get those last few pieces in place, if we can just work out those final few bugs, then we'll have it all set up and we'll have made it and we will have all of the gains and none of the losses. This is the modern-day mindset, but what's interesting about this mindset, of course, is it's not new. Uh, People had different new advancements, different new technologies hundreds and thousands of years ago, but people have felt this way for a long time, that the goal of life is to have it all, to have your cake and eat it too, all of the gains with none of the losses. And one person who felt this way is the person who wrote our sermon text today. It's a man that we now know by the name of the Apostle Paul. So Paul lived around 60 A.D., and his goal was to have it all, and he kind of did. But it looked different from what it would look like for us to have it all. So our society is very different from Paul's society. His society was highly religious, and in the intensely religious Jewish New Testament world, the things that matter the most, the most value, the most street cred, it was your religious pedigree, and it was your religious accomplishments. And Paul had all of those things in spades. Just listen to how he describes it in our sermon text today. He says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, like any good rule-following Jewish boy, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So it's a very different culture from the one that we live in. We're in kind of a secular culture, which we talked about in Bible study, but this is a highly religious culture, and by the standards of that culture, Paul had everything that you could possibly want to have. He's a member of the Jewish cultural elite. He's raised with every privilege you can imagine. And then he wasn't lazy with those privileges. He spent his whole adult life going above and beyond. Every phrase here is is above and beyond. He was not just a rule follower. He was a Pharisee, the most strict of them all. He was not just holding to Judaism. He was defending Judaism against every heresy that could be out there, including this false teaching known as Christianity. And to top it all off, cherry on top, which he doesn't list in this list, Paul was a Roman citizen. For a Jewish person way off in their province, being a Roman citizen was like the Holy Grail. This is the best thing you could have. Most people could only dream of being a Roman citizen. So Paul had wealth and privilege and success and honor. He had accumulated all the wins in his life that he possibly could. But then came his rude awakening. And maybe you remember the story. Paul, who at this time was named Saul, was traveling down the road to Damascus to go arrest the Christians there and and persecute them and maybe have them put to death. And as he's traveling down the road intent on his mission, a light flashed from heaven and a voice boomed down and the voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul squinted up into the sky and said, who are you, Lord? And the answer that came back was the last thing he expected to hear. I am Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And Saul was literally blinded by the light. He couldn't see, and so someone had to take him by the hand and lead him into the city. But there God sent a believer named Ananias to sit with Saul and take care of him and teach him the truth about God. And the truth was, Saul had done everything wrong. He had gone all in on himself and on his performance and on his faithful obedience to every Jewish law, and his zealous persecution of anything related to Jesus Christ, Saul had bet everything on himself. And he had lost. Because as it turns out, Jesus Christ had actually been the Son of God. And as it turned out, God's grace was really the only way to get to heaven. As it turned out, all the things that Saul thought he had gained in his life were actually leading him towards eternal loss. Like eternally, it had been wasted. His life had been wasted. What a crushing blow for Saul, who then changed his name to Paul and had a whole different story, as we'll talk about. But what a crushing blow. This is a blow that is eventually going to come to anybody who thinks that the goal of this life is to try to have it all in a sin-broken world. Because you can't have it all in a sin-broken world. The world's broken. And so it's a fool's errand to try to have it all. It's never going to happen. No matter how good our health is, it's not going to last forever. No matter how successful our job is, it's not going to last forever. No matter how much money we make, it's not going to last forever. No matter how many awesome experiences we have, they're not going to last forever. The things our world values are temporary things. And they can be blessings from God. But if we chase after these things, if we allow these things to pull us away from God, if we allow them to become our God, then ironically the things we're trying to gain in this life might actually be the things that are leading us to eternal loss. What a sobering thought. right? How many people spend their entire life chasing after things that eternally are basically worthless. How easily do we get pulled into a mindset where we start chasing after things that are eternally worthless? Until maybe we get a shock. We get jolted by something like a tragedy. A person close to us gets a diagnosis that is terrifying. A person close to us dies suddenly and we're reminded that all these things we're trying to gain have an expiration date. And that one day our life too is gonna be gone. And many of the things we've gained will be lost. It's a terrifying thought. We kind of get jolted back to reality. So so now what? Like what hope can there be for us as we live in a sin-broken world that's always disappointing and always ends up letting us down and even our biggest gains could turn out to be losses? What hope can there be? Well, the hope isn't going to come from this sin-broken world. The hope has to come from a different world. The hope comes from God. And in the Bible, we learn some amazing things about God. We learn things we would never have ever guessed about God. And one of them is this thing, that God wants greater things for us than anything that this sin-broken world can provide. It's kind of like the dad who's trying to take his kid to the game and the kid is playing in the mud and won't look at him. God has such greater plans than we can even imagine. God doesn't want us, God doesn't want you to have to choose and compromise and settle. God wants you to have your cake and eat it too. God wants you to have it all in eternity, in a perfect world, with Him. But here is the question. How can God possibly turn our eyes to eternity when we have a sinful nature that is just so distracted by every bright, flashy amusement that comes our way here on earth? How can God turn our eyes to Him when our sinful heart is so ready to settle for any cheap substitute that comes along? Well, because human beings struggle to look up for God, so easily distracted, God chose to come down to us. That's exactly what he did in Jesus. So the chapter before our sermon text, uh, Paul talks about Jesus and what he did. And it's just amazing as you think through Jesus' life here on earth, all the things he's doing are things that don't appear to be gains. They appear to be losses. Jesus is giving everything up. Here's what Paul says. Being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus recognized the only way to rescue us from this disappointing, sin-broken world was to lose the very things that this world values most. For Jesus himself to lose those things. And so Jesus, when he came into this world, he chose a life without many pleasures, without much money, without much respect, without much honor. I mean, out of all the people he could have possibly been, the Son of God decided to be a poor carpenter's son from Nazareth. And then out of all the things the Son of God could have possibly done, what he actually decided to do was give up his possessions and give up his freedom and give up his health and give up his life. He's allowed himself to be arrested and crucified. And then while on the cross, Jesus gave up even more. He gave up his relationship with his Heavenly Father. We know that because we heard him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was suffering God's eternal punishment, not for his sins, but for our sins. So he could wash away the muddy mess of the things that we do wrong and clothe us in his righteousness. But we get so used to talking about Jesus dying on the cross that I think we forget how remarkable it was that he would do this. What a strange thing for the Son of God to do. On the cross, in one sense, Jesus lost everything. But in a different sense, he gained everything. And so do we. We gained forgiveness of sins, new life and salvation. We gained a home in heaven that's not going to be disappointing and that's actually going to be perfect. We gained a status as God's forgiven children, a status that nobody can take away from us. And Jesus gained total victory over sin and death and the devil. And he showed that victory on Easter when he rose from the dead, but he's going to show that victory the most on the last day, when Jesus comes back and then he's fully glorified in the sight of everybody. We will see what Jesus gained and what he really won on the cross on the last day when he comes back. As Paul continues, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And eventually, on the last day, every knee and every tongue will and Jesus will be fully and publicly glorified. We're not there yet. But already now, God has taught us a whole new value system through Jesus. It's a system where gains are losses and losses are gains. It's a system that makes no sense from an earthly perspective, but it makes perfect sense from a heavenly perspective. And like any dad, like any father, God's value system rubs off onto his children. This is certainly the case for the Apostle Paul. While he was persecuting Christians, uh, we talked about this. Everybody had looked up to him as the man who had everything. Once he became a Christian missionary, he became the man who had nothing in the eyes of his peers. The wealth, the prestige, the respect, the honor, it was all gone. And in fact, after becoming a Christian, Paul's life got worse and worse and worse. There's this one chapter of 2 Corinthians where Paul lists all the things that he had happened to him, like physical attacks, and it's just remarkable how much happened to this one man. The the Jewish people had a law that you couldn't whip someone more than 39 times. That was the absolute maximum punishment. The 40 lashes minus one. They did this to Paul five separate times. That's a lot of lashes. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned and left for dead. He got shipwrecked three times. He floated in the open sea for two days He lost basically all of his earthly possessions. And in fact, as he writes this letter, he's in jail, in chains, waiting to be executed. And within two years, he would be. As he's writing this letter, Saul, whose name is now Paul, from an earthly perspective, has lost absolutely everything. But that's not how he sees it. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the much greater worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection, and even participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. God's value system rubs off on his children. God showed Paul what was truly important. He taught Paul to desire greater things than this world could possibly ever offer, and to take confidence in greater things than his own good works could ever provide, confidence in the free grace and the righteousness of Jesus. But through Christ, God had totally rearranged the way Paul viewed the world. And God does the same thing for us. What about you? What things uh, do you now consider a loss in comparison to the much greater worth of knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord? What things do you now consider garbage that you may instead gain Christ and be found in him. What things are you willing to let go of? Because as appealing as they may seem spiritually and eternally, they're not helping you. I mean maybe we would all examine our life and kind of answer those questions differently. So just think of it this way. 5 minutes after you die, what matters? It's not your money, it's not your house, it's not your Instagram, it's not your job, it's not your friends. Five minutes after you die, what matters is your connection to Jesus. And so, during your temporary life here on this earth, the things that connect you to Jesus are the most valuable things that you have. Things like God's word, or the Lord's Supper, or your church family. Your Bible study group, your personal devotion plan, the prayers that you say with your kids when you tuck them into bed at night. These are the most valuable things in your entire life because these are the things that connect us to Jesus. These are the things that bear fruit, not just for this life, but for all eternity. It's a whole different value system. So this world is broken, this world is disappointing, and we know this. We're not going to be able to have it all in a world like this one. We're not going to be able to have our cake and eat it too, not in a world like this one. This broken world, by necessity, demands sacrifices and choices where we have to pick what's most important. So thank God for giving us a value system that allows us to see things clearly. So we can let go of, maybe we appreciate them, but we can also let go of the many, many things that don't really matter eternally. And we can embrace and hold on to the few things that really, really do. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.